0: Hi folks, and welcome to the Empowering Dietitians podcast, where each week I explore a different topic to help you feel more confident and connected to your work as a dietitian. I'm your host, Jess Romola, a registered dietitian, dietitian supervisor, and owner of Empowering Dietitians, where I help burnt out and unhappy dietitians opt out of hustle culture and reclaim their passion and purpose as a human first, and dietitian second. After all, we are all more than dietitians. As a reminder, I am currently on maternity leave, so from now through April, you're getting a special bonus season of the podcast a look back at the most popular episodes from the past four seasons, along with some new commentary, episode titles, and updates. In January, we're focusing on top episodes from season one. And today's throwback, so to speak, originally aired as episode 16, Confident Salary Negotiation with Stacy Dunemke. Stacy is a registered dietitian and owner of the website nutritionjobs.com, who specializes in dietetic career development, resume building, LinkedIn and job seeking success via traditional and unique platforms for nutrition and dietetic professionals. In this episode, we chat all about negotiating more confidently for better pay and benefits, whether that's during an initial job interview process or during an annual review at a job you already have. It's no surprise that this remains one of my most popular podcast episodes ever with Stacy's actionable advice and uplifting spirit. Whether this is the first time that you're hearing this episode or you're listening back a second time for a little new year pep talk, enjoy my conversation with Stacy all right welcome Stacy. Oh, thank you so much Jessica it's great to be here I'm super honored I'm so excited to have you we're gonna be talking about a topic that I am very passionate about and very interested in because it is not something that I learned in school uh, so before we dive into that why don't you tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself
1: Oh, well, I, I am Stacy as as you pointed out, and I have been running a website for dietitians and nutrition professionals for 20 years now. Uh, this is my 20 year mark. Uh, it's nutritionjobs.com. And I've been in the field of dietetics for many, many years. Um, the Academy just told me for 30 years, which seems which seems like really remarkable because I feel like I've had so many different chapters of being a dietitian. I have done so many things. Um, in fact, I was just doing a webinar for a group last night and um, I just remembered another job that I had that I completely forgot about, and that was I was a food stylist when I was um, in college. It was one of my summer, one of my summer internships that I had done I was working for Del Monte canned Foods um, in San Francisco um, it, wonderful one market uh, it was really it was really fun so i 've had lots of jobs i 've worked in research I worked with uh, Dean Ornish in Sausalito uh, for many years and still do some consulting with him i 've worked as a clinical a nutrition manager, a clinical dietitian. I've worked in lots of different areas of, of clinical nutrition, specifically with um, um, in a NICU, in in a burn unit. So I've had. A variety of experiences, um, I did outpatient nutrition counseling, uh, just a lot of different things and I think what 's kind of funny is there was there was actually a thread of commonality throughout all those different jobs, and it sort of led me to the realization of what i 'm doing now and that is i 've always loved tech i 've always loved programming. I used to love programming Pascal when I was in college i've uh, always always been drawn to like creating the patient education materials. I I used to joke about saying like, I actually, (laughs) I think at some point, I actually liked creating these education materials and doing sort of the tech background, um, maybe a little bit more than actually seeing the patients.
0: No, that's that's really important for dietitians to hear because there are definitely dietitians that get into kind of the one-on-one client patient interactions and they're like, I don't think this is for me. And (laughs) that's totally okay. You can be a dietitian and not love that one-on-one interaction as much. There are opportunities. So I love that you have such a diverse background and that you really kind of honed in on what worked for you and what your passions were and what really clicked. And you were able to find space within dietetics for that. Yeah. Um, So nutritionjobs.com is a database of all different jobs available to dietitians, but I know that it's also so much more. So can you tell us a little bit about the different resources that are available there?
1: Yeah. So like my own profession, nutritionjobs.com has evolved over the years. It was originally just a a database, a job portal for dietitians, because I remember thinking, I had just gotten um, onto the internet, actually, when I developed it and realized there wasn't much of a unique space just for dietitians for jobs. So that's how it started out, um, and it became a really great tool for recruiters and some of the big companies, the small companies. It was just a, a great way, a great portal for dietitians to have specific to our industry and jobs specific to that. Um, and And I think then, over the years, it's sort of evolved into providing resources for career um, information, career help um, just all, all areas of career and helping people decide like how what, what area of dietetics they want to go into and what are some tools and resources for that. And then in the last, I'd say in the last year or so, I've been putting out more uh, specific tools for dietitians that are in the form of courses that uh, uh, encompass looking at your risk and how you optimize your resume for more opportunities. Um, I have a course on LinkedIn that's, um, it's. Uh, there's a chunky version and a smaller version uh, for both resumes and for LinkedIn. Um, I call them the mini and the maxi uh, that have lots of information. Again, how to optimize your professional profile so you can have more opportunities, so you can have more options, so you can put yourself out there to make more money as a dietitian. And again, just to have Options, whatever you want to do, and hopefully there's a connection between doing what you love and finding what it is that you love doing, or or can tolerate at least, and getting um, the paycheck that you think is is equitable with that. And and hopefully that you know that gets honed as you get more clarity on on what you want to do and where you want to go. And getting experience, I think, helps with that clarity as well. So that's how the website has evolved over the years, and uh, who knows what it'll look like in five years from now but I just I love being able to provide webinars I do a lot of webinars as well and connecting with the community and just providing education on how to really make your professional profile uh, super shiny and polished so that you can optimize your opportunities
0: That's amazing. And I love what you said about taking the time to really align your work with your passions. And that sometimes that takes putting yourself out there in positions that you don't know if they're going to be right for you and learning from them. Uh, I think that there's a lot of pressure these days to kind of come out the gate and know exactly what you want to do and what you're passionate about. And there's something to be said for just taking an opportunity and learning from it too.
1: Oh, I totally agree. And I and I feel like um, there is a bit of a push uh, towards uh, some areas that your preceptor might be familiar with or your teachers, your professors. It's just all that they're familiar with. It doesn't mean that that's the only thing that's out there or that you need to be pressured into feeling that those are the opportunities that are available to you only. So going into clinical, although I love clinical, I, I loved my days of working in the NICU and working in the burn unit. I loved, I love the hospital environment, the, um, the all the other ancillary services that you get to work with. I, I love all of that. I love the little small towns that hospitals um, become, but know that you can take different experiences um, and collectively decide like which direction you want to go into just by learning what you do. I, I never thought I would be interested in working in research, uh, but it, it was, I just, I loved it. I loved working with Dean Ornish in the research. I worked in the, um, I was the nutrition director for the prostate cancer lifestyle trial. And so I got to work with um, men who had prostate cancer and their and their families, and I got to work with the chef going into their homes and helping them follow the the diet protocol. There were just a lot of different opportunities, and of course there was um, all of the data analyses that I got to do working with the research program SPSS. And so I got really deep into that, of course. Um, but you know, there's just every every step along the way. I don't think I even knew that there was such a program called SPSS before uh, before having gone into research. And working with the research director. So I think every little step that you take, whether it's paid work or unpaid work, uh, interning or working full-time someplace uh, for another company, you, you just get snippets of, of, information and can learn about what's important to you, what's not important to you, what you enjoy, what, what sparks your curiosity. And you don't have to love every single day at the, at the job that you're in. That's not realistic either. I think there's uh, sometimes there's some social media pressure into, you know, find your passion. And once you have your passion, your passion palace is you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to know it and you're going to feel it. And gosh, you know, like I, I'm in the best job I've ever Ever created for myself ever right now. And there's some days that are not so great. You know, there's, sure. there's, there's always that in any kind of position. So not having to feel the pressure of having to have this perfect passion palace every single day. You know.
0: Yep. I always say the quote that, you know, when you find the job you love or that you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life. And I don't believe that's true. Like there are, I love my job. I love working with dietitians. I love counseling. It lights me up but it's still work and <laughs> yeah. it's, there are still hard days and that's okay. I don't have to feel like my job is my vacation. Um, oh,
1: right. So that's a good, in, that's a really good way to put it, right? In order to
0: feel fulfilled. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the other things that you said that I want to circle back to that once we find this passion that we have or a job that works for us and, and that seems to click for our values and our interests, ideally we then find ways to, get value for it, um, to be paid what we feel that we're worth. And I know that that is a a big pain point for a lot of dietitians right now because a lot of us collectively are feeling undervalued and underpaid. Mm. So what I'd love to talk to you about today is really how do we advocate for ourselves? How do we start to be the change in our profession that we want to see? Um, And how do we slowly start to work on the salary that isn't satisfying to us?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really good questions. And what's interesting, actually, Jessica, when I first started out running nutrition jobs and I started getting money from the people who would post their jobs. And I started getting a lot of money. I remember being embarrassed about that. I remember, so again, this was like, so maybe like 15 years ago, 20, uh, not even 20, but probably like 15 years ago. I, I remember being embarrassed um, going into to, uh, conferences or people would ask me what I would do and they would sort of, you know, not get much credence to the idea of an online job board because they didn't know what it was yet. And I I actually felt embarrassed that I knew that I was making probably three times the amount of this person that I was talking to. And I had gone into a profession that wasn't known to be um, very lucrative. And I think- thank goodness over the years it is actually coveted now and it's important for us to be standing up for uh, the, the dollar value, for the worth of the value that we're providing for no matter what type of work you go into. And I think so collectively, I think it's really important to have sort of a, um, the sort of the push, you know, the the swimmy, the the you know, a lot of little fish doing and going in a direction that we all want to go into, instead of just one little fish moving in that direction. I think having all of us swarming together with this collective conversation about it is important. And and then there's I there's a lot of different ways that we can get the get the the um, dollar or the the salary or whatever it might be for what it is that we're doing in a couple different ways. I have my thoughts, a lot of other people have thoughts as well, but I think one of the clear ways is by coming into a situation, being both prepared and with a sense of of confidence. And it can be artificial confidence, but as long as you're delivering that confidence, as long as that's what is being heard when you're um, interviewing, whether you're uh, talking about pitching an idea that you want or a collaboration you want with maybe a brand, a company uh, working, there's a lot of different ways to interpret that. But I think going in and being very prepared and, again, exuding this sense of confidence. Um, And I think, you know, confidence, there's a lot of different ways that you can present that. Uh, For the first, the, the very first thing I always think of is what's the type of language that you're using when you're either communicating in person or whether you're communicating on the phone or Zoom, however that might be are you using strong words or in emails as well? Are you using uh, strong words or are you using words that are uh, belittling you or uh, demeaning you? And I think one of those words is the word sorry. Uh, I just gave a presentation on this not too long ago about words that um, undermine our value and our worth, and sometimes are completely subconscious on both our parts and on the part of the person that's hearing them. Uh, I, I, I think we use that word sorry a lot. And so I have a, a, a list of like some other words that not to use instead of um, sorry, um, using the word like thank you uh, ap- or apologies, apologies for being late, thank you for your patience, uh, thanks for pointing that out. Um, is now a good time to ask you about or whatever, instead of starting a sentence off with sorry. So I think using, you know, confident language, the the other word that I recommend all of us try to get rid of is the word just. Yes. Right? And, I, and I, was, I, am,
0: I do this one a lot. I've put an oh, effort yeah. into um, sorry. I've replaced sorry with thank you um, mm-hmm. pretty consistently at this point. But the just, I still, when I read through my emails, I catch myself and I go through and delete them all the time.
1: I I have to do that as well, and I feel like I'm a very strong, confident person, and I will find, I just want to, no, I don't just want to, just delete that word. There's no replacement for just. You just, yes, I just did it. (laughs) You need to replace it. Just get rid of it. Um, I'll do a sweep through my emails too sometimes and just make sure that that word is not in there. Another one is the word think
0: or believe out of context I just did this today there you yes. go i i was <laughs> typing out an email and i said no i don't think i know I can delete that and just go on with my statement.
1: yeah you don't need to say think if you want to you can say no or will or can you know there's other other words to put in there that might seem appropriate but if you can delete it i think if there's one thing i learned in uh doing research is uh Trim, 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 trim. Like trim trim your wording down as as far down as you can get to when you're creating that abstract. You know, that whole, you know, five years of work goes down into one little abstract. And trimming out unnecessary words that don't support your value, don't support your words, your intentions. Like we said, there's sometimes they're not even you're not even thinking about it. It's sort of subconscious. But making a conscious effort then to go back through and weed those words out that don't matter. And it just makes an email easier to read and quicker to read as well. So yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. And that's a big thing. I work with a lot of men and I work with a lot of businessmen in my day position and they don't have a lot of time. So I have had to learn how to be concise and get my message across because I'm not a naturally concise person at all and I've learned to communicate especially through email in a way that is more receptive. And I think it's easy to do the edit when you're doing an email, you can read through it, but what would you say for someone who's going into an in-person interaction and they wanna work on their in-person communication skills to be more concise and to use more confident language?
1: Oh yeah, I'll tell you exactly what to do. And I, I do this, I practice this, which is practicing you have to practice if i if i'm going to give a webinar it sounds it sounds silly but i don't ever really just wing it and i've been working for 30 years i know my stuff i am not ever going to wing it because you just never know what kind of distractions are going to undermine you, looking at environmental things, especially walking to someone's office. There are so many triggers in someone's office that are going to trip you up in, in what you want to deliver. But if you've got that down, if it comes like an autonomic response of what you want to say, and you can still craft it in a way that sounds original, definitely prepare ahead of time. And so there's a couple ways you can do that. Um, when you you can create uh, uh, your own zoom recording and when you see that green light on you something something shifts in your the, your mental acuity and you can really deliver something more intentionally when you're practicing even so I like recording yourself uh, a video recording a voice recording but there's something about the the zoom recording or screencastify whichever one you like to use on your computer to rehearse what it is that you want to say rehearse your pitch exactly how you want To say the way you want to smile, uh, exactly how do you want your eyes to make sure that they're always looking at the little green dot? You want to make sure you're making a lot of eye contact. It only comes with practice, it's not innate. It is something that we have to spend time and exercise that muscle of, of feeling prepared. So, preparing, so let's say you're going into just a regular job interview or a salary negotiation situation is practicing what it is that you want to say. Um, there's there's another tactic actually that I, I just recently learned about. Um, and that is, um, there's a book by, and there's some work by an uh, individual, you may have heard this guy before too. His name is Chris Voss, where he talks about never split the difference. And he, he was a hostage negotiator, I think. And so it's a little bit of a different sort of negotiation, but the ideas and the principles can still be applied to us and how we want to exude confidence and how we can be um, uh, friendly and positive at the same time getting um, what we want. But what really what it's all about is not giving up your power. And the power can play in so many different ways. When someone asks you a question, you as the receiver of the question who is going to be answering that question, you're in this hot seat and you've lost a little bit of power because the other person's sitting across from you waiting for you to answer. Their hands are back on their lap. They're sitting up in their chair. Their mouth is closed. Their eyes are open and you are suddenly in this hot seat. So if, if you come up with a situation, he comes up with all these really fabulous ideas, but he, he welcomes the idea of waiting a little bit. If you're not comfortable with the question that was just asked for a variety of reasons, maybe they ask you something that's actually not a, not a question you want to answer. For example, uh, what salary were you making at your last job, which is um, illegal in many states, but people will still ask it, whatever. You don't need to call them out on that, on, on the illegalness of that. But when you get in that situation, what you can do is turn that hot seat back around, offer it back to them, that hot potato. Take the last couple words of what they've said in their question and present it back to them in a form of a question. Oh, what was I making in my last job? And then you wait, you don't, you don't try to answer your own question there. You wait and make them answer the question, you sit back up in your chair, you get your composure, you swallow, you breathe, lots of breathing, you put your hands back down in your lap and you make eye contact and you close your mouth Mm -hmm. and you wait and you wait and you wait. You wait for three or four seconds. Don't give in. Be comfortable with that silence. You don't have to be negative or uh, unfriendly about this, but it's just a way of being able to recapture your power so that you can say what it is that you want to say. And then they might reframe that question uh, or skip over that question again, or just it gives you some maybe more insight into what they wanted to really learn. It may have just been, you know, completely, um, lovely intentions, but, but maybe it was to make you feel a tiny bit uncomfortable as well. So he has lots of great tactics in that book. I love, I love reading through them. Again, some don't always apply (laughs) to to our profession, but they're good. They're good to understand that it's okay to embrace silence. It's okay to ask questions and it's okay to be prepared to uh, say what it is that you want to say.
0: Absolutely. And I think The power of the pause is something that we often feel uncomfortable with. It's a counseling technique as well. Learning how to sit in silence and not necessarily jump in right away is hard, but it's a powerful move in a lot of different aspects of our jobs. And when it comes to salary negotiation in particular, it's hard to do. I know because I've been in that situation, but it's also so important. And I love that you give that tip because it's something that I think I could probably work on as well.
1: Oh, ditto, right? You know, it's something you have to be conscious about it. But by giving back that power to somebody else or taking that power, it it gives you that time to just... Breathe for a second and think about what it is that you really are, are there for. Because sometimes we get into conversations, into situations, especially ones that make us nervous, and we go into comfortable language uh, that's familiar, that's not always healthy, right? It's, and it's, it's completely normal. It happens, you know, here I am 30 years out, and I still have to remind myself of these these um, tactics or these techniques to, to uh, do what it is that I need to do and get to where I want to go and I think it's also important when you're talking about salary negotiation sometimes you think it's not just for me it's it's for my entire profession eventually that you know we are we are this pool of of people collectively that can sort of move move this mountain along it's really hard with just one person but if we're always moving in that direction together as a group we have so much more leverage
0: yes Absolutely. And one of the aspects of salary negotiation that I have found most challenging as a dietitian is realizing that it's in my power to do it in
1: the first place. Mm, Right, right.
0: That's something that is often taught and it's going to differ um, between cultures and different jobs. But I know that it took me years before I actually negotiated my salary rather than sit down and accept what they gave me year to year in my review so for any dietitian out there that maybe hasn't ever attempted to negotiate their salary before is there something that they need to know to get started or kind of one piece of advice that to really get them going on this
1: that's a good question because it does vary by situation. It varies by the company that you're uh, looking to work with. It varies whether it's a one-woman show that you're going to go work with, or whether it's a larger corporation. And sometimes larger corporations have uh, less leeway because they have, you know, just like in the military, they have you know pay grades. Right? There's a there's a range, and it is completely okay. And usually it's public what that range is and to ask with what's within that range so I, I think just understanding the situation first before you just barrel in there and say I um, deserve four hundred fifty dollars an hour I totally do but I'm probably not <laughs> <laughs> in every situation it depends you know what kind of what kind of work you're doing but um, so so no you know be realistic about what that company can even offer I like to go in with uh, the idea that whatever it is that you want to to be, re, be receiving. Um, and there's lots of salary surveys out there to see sort of like what is the ballpark. Um, and then just add 20% or 30% onto that. And that can give you a little bit of window to work with. But that's sort of where, you, you know, you want to keep moving up in increments um, like that, not just the 4% annual, you know, cost of living salary increase. And then, uh, you know, along with that, so maybe a company cannot offer you a salary, a, a pay raise increase, Uh, this actually happened to me uh, when I first started my website actually I uh, had asked for, let's see, how did that go? I think I had asked for a salary raise and they just, they they were not able to do it. I was working for a contract food service company. And unless I wanted to do a different type of job, like be the food service director, which I wasn't interested in, then, you know, just wasn't an option to move up. So what I asked for instead was to work fewer hours every day. So instead of working an eight or, and realistically, I was a clinical nutrition manager, probably making, working like, you know, 10, 12 hour days for a while there. But so I asked if I could just work for six hours a day. And then I spent those last two hours at work, sitting at work, programming my website. So I was there sort of on call, but I wasn't working on anything specific to the work that I was doing, but I was sort of sitting at the desk on call using the internet because at that time we didn't have internet in our homes, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, I need the internet. I need the cat five line (laughs) to to program this website. Um, So there's, there's other things you can ask for, right? So for me, it was less time for the same salary um, and you can get different benefits. You can get continuing education. So that's a chunk of money right there. Sometimes somebody will pay both your travel, uh, it, plus the time off that you were at the conference, uh, plus maybe a, a food stipend, um, and then, of course, your tuition. So that can sometimes be close to even, you know, $2,000. Uh, so there's just little things here and there that you can also negotiate for that make the job better good, right? So you don't always have to be making a big, chunky salary necessarily. Uh, but I, I like the idea of, of taking a little bit less time at work, but still getting the same salary so that you can also do a side hustle if you want to as a way to uh, make you happy with you know, things that, that are, are very interesting to you or that, that pique your curiosity or what make you um, super excited about learning too.
0: Yes. And that was a piece of advice that I had been given going into the first time that I decided to try to negotiate my salary was that you come in with a number that you're looking for, ideally higher than what you're actually looking for. But having a few things in your back pocket, in case the number is out of reach, are there other things that might be a happy middle ground, whether it's a little bit more vacation or um, an extra bonus that might be based on hitting certain benchmarks that you can do or different benefits. So there are other options that can either increase your actual salary or take-home pay, whether it's through a bonus or something like that, or make your job more fulfilling or rewarding in a different way if the salary itself doesn't go through.
1: Exactly. And I've heard that one before, too. I haven't experienced it myself, but I do know of several people that I've uh, either worked with or um, know of who have taken a job a little bit less than what they wanted, but they negotiated into their contract, which has a contract, by the way, not not just a verbal thing, but a written contract that within, I think it was a three or six month period of time of getting uh, employed, that if they hit a particular benchmark, um, in one case, it was uh, making sure that they passed the joint commission. Uh, that was coming through in uh, I think it was like coming through in six months and so this person had to set up a few of the uh, some malnutrition um, triggers and if if they passed successfully I think there was a certain threshold for that as well then she was going to get a ten percent increase so they're they're using the time and and just again to show your value I think I'm not sure if we started off talking about but you know dietitians are super talented uh, you know we're like really good with math and science and we're, we're we're compassionate and we're usually good speakers. We are very good with lots of other disciplines. Like we're like the whole package, you know? (laughs) And And so we, yeah, we have a lot of value.
0: And that's what it goes back to is that when you're asking for a, a higher salary or a raise or a bonus, it's about what are you going to deliver to the person you're speaking to? Because we know our value. We know we have it. It's not about how good we are necessarily. It's spinning how good we are to show how that benefits what they're really interested in.
1: Yeah. And that's often the case, right? It's how you deliver your value, how you deliver your worth, how you deliver yourself, um, and and how you can show that uh, you you are already this person. You know, what's interesting, Jessica, actually is I do a lot of resume reviews and I'll and I'll look at someone's resume and I'll think like, this isn't this isn't who you are. I'm sure you've done a ton more work than this. This just this doesn't look that Interesting or exciting. I don't think this is who you are. And it turns, you know, you talk to someone and it turns out they are so much more than what they've put down on paper. And I think that can also be the case with interviewing. Like this person is so much more than what they might be saying in sort of a vanilla interview. There's so much more to this person. And getting prepared by stating what your worth is, you know, knowing what your success story circles are, just you know, making sure that you can present that that self um, is so important. It's different. It's different than what you're used to doing. And and we don't do it very often either, right? Like, how often do you do a salary negotiation or how often do you go on job interviews? It's, it's, or if you do, it's batched out in your life. Like, you don't do it that often. So, knowing it's good to prepare and to prepare this professional profile that really can show your awesomeness is, um, is key.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, we want to prepare, we want to practice and we want to exude confidence, either through our language or through our body language, through certain ways, even if it, if it means that we're kind of dying inside, have that <laughs> confident face that we can put out. It's, it's not quite fake it till you make it. I, I have mixed feelings of that saying, but it is being able to present with confidence because that confidence doesn't necessarily mean you feel it internally. It means that you can put it out there even when you feel that self-doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you summarize all that so well. <laughs> <laughs> and is there anything else that you really want dietitians to know about feeling confident, going into job interviews, salary negotiations, finding their spot within the field?
1: I think, I think it just goes back to how you present yourself again in the delivery um, If it is a situation where you're presenting a resume or you're trying to present yourself with your LinkedIn profile, uh, you know, making sure that that is polished and it really does speak to all of your quantifiable work successes that you've had uh, in in your work experience, whether it's paid or unpaid, making sure that each one of the bullet points about what you've done includes some sort of quantifiable work success, whether it's dollars, percentages, the word increase, decreased, um, and using action verbs. Again, uh, sort of the modern resume, and even your LinkedIn profile, is uh, not a, a reiteration of a job description. But you want to just put in there, even even your internship, a dietetic internship, putting in there those quantifiable work successes, those bullet points. Um, I I have this thing called a work journal, dietetic work journal. It's, there's a, you can download a template on my on my website, and that just keeps those successes top of mind, whether you complete it weekly or. Uh, monthly or daily, if you want to, depending on how supercharged you are <laughs> or love want that. to be. <laughs> right. So keeping those top of mind and, and just, again, it's all about the, how you present yourself, I think, because you really are, I know I love this word awesome, but you know, you really are awesome sauce. And it's just a matter of, of putting it into words that someone else can see and read in seven seconds.
0: That's amazing. And I'm, I'm always telling the dietitians that I work with that we have to reflect on our accomplishments more regularly. So I love this idea of having that work accomplishment journal. So I highly recommend anyone out there listening, go download it. I'll include that link in the show notes as well. Um, and if you can remind everyone where they can find you to keep learning more and more about all of these fantastic topics.
1: Oh, yeah. So nutritionjobs.com. And on my website, uh, there's a link to subscribe to my um, uh, what I think is a very witty dietetic career newsletter. So you can can get that. And um, I've got a section on the top that says learn. And that's where you can access some of my courses. I've usually got some webinars going on. Oh, I also just started a YouTube channel, of course. (laughs)
0: because you weren't busy enough.
1: (laughs) I I will not do a podcast, but um, so I am, I am on YouTube and those are again, also kind of goofy, goofy videos about our serious jobs.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for everything today. You've shared some amazing pieces of wisdom on all of our field issues and learning how to feel more confident. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, thanks, Jessica. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I love your podcast and and the work that you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Empowering Dietitians podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there are two things that you can do that dramatically help to support the show. First, leave a quick rating and or review on your podcast listening app of choice, which really helps new listeners find the show. Second, sharing this episode with a dietitian friend can also go a long way in spreading the anti-hustle message to dietitians far and wide. And speaking of supporting one another, even though I'm on maternity leave right now, that doesn't mean this podcast is your only way of receiving support. On my website, you can find a host of resources from free workbooks and journals that will opt you into my monthly newsletter support to a whole library of recorded courses and classes, many of which are approved for CEUs by the CDR. Check out everything I have to offer on my website at www.empoweringdietitians.com.